0: Good morning church. So me, Matthew, and Louie will be doing a three-part sermon today. I'm gonna be doing the first part and today we will be talking about Jesus's legacy. So I bet we can all agree Jesus was a pretty famous person. He would teach very big crowds of people and who, to whoever would listen. In Matthew 14 it shows t- him teaching over 5,000 people. He would teach anyone who was willing to listen. And even when he got tired, he would still teach. Please turn to Mark ten one. In Mark ten one text says, Jesus left the place and went to the region of Judea, across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people would gather around him, and as it was his custom, he taught them. Crowds would be filled with all kinds of people, sinners, believers, tax collectors, even people trying to prove Jesus wrong. The Bible had lots of people trying to make Jesus mess up. Please turn Mark ten, two through seven. In these verses, Jesus talks about divorce, but that's not the reason I want to talk about it today. The text says, Some Pharisees came by and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It's because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote that law. Jesus replied, but in the beginning of God's creation, man, he made man and female. For this reason, man will leave his mother and father to be united with his wife. Jesus saw what the Pharisees were trying to do, and he shut it down right away. That is something that doesn't change to present day. People will always try to see every little mistake that Christians make, whether it's a little mistake, Cursing, leading someone astray. They choose to see the bad, although they could be much happier if they were to see the good. Although there are some great sinners that everyone hated, some people still wanted to see Jesus. Please turn to Luke 19. The text says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There's a a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was very short and could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus is coming that way. Even someone that everyone hated still wanted to see Jesus and listen to him teach. And then Jesus asked him to invite him into his home. We remember Jesus for a lot of things, but him teaching is a real big one. People would spread his word and tell him, tell everyone, that the Son of God, the Messiah, is teaching. And people would gather around. Jesus did everything he was created for. He died on the cross, he healed the sick and weary, and he taught people about his Father. All of this impacted the future, which Louis will come up and talk about.
1: Thank you, Carter. Uh, so today I want to talk about Jesus' impact on the centuries after him. So I want to start us off with a verse. If we could all flip to Mark three twenty-three through twenty-six. It reads, So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. So some of those words may sound familiar, and that's because we recognize them from Abraham Lincoln's 1863 Gettysburg Address. So, when, when most people, if not all people, hear the words "a house divided, they immediately think of the Gettysburg Address. What they don't realize is that those are Jesus' words. Jesus said them, but Abraham Lincoln made it a little bit more popular. For this next part, I want to jump back a little bit further than Abraham Lincoln to about the time of the founding fathers. So I know we can think, all, I know we can all at least think of one founding father, and the likelihood it is the one that you were thinking of was a Christian, I have a few quotes here from the Founding Fathers. This next one really stuck with me because I think of how true it is in aspects to our country. It is a quote from our third U.S. President, signer and drafter of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson. And it reads, God who gave us life gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis? A conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with His wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, and that his justice cannot sleep forever. So, unfortunately, I feel like this really reflects what's happened to our country. God's justice cannot sleep forever, and we need to be aware of that. So, we don't know when he's coming back, which means we need to be ready for when he's coming back. If we don't change the way we're doing things, we might not be able to do things much longer. On more of a positive note, here's a quote from our second president, John Adams. It says, Suppose a nation in some distant region should take up the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts they're exhibited. Every member would be obligated in conscience to temperance frugality, and industry, to justice, kindness, and charity toward his fellow men, and to pity, love, and reverence toward Almighty God. What a utopia what a paradise would this region be? I also like this one because it demonstrates how we should live our lives, basically. We're told time and time again to take the Bible as our only law book. I have a verse for doing this. If we could all go to Proverbs 3, 1 through 7. It says, My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes, and fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So I'm sure most of us recognize this verse because, I mean, it's a very popular verse. Over the course of my life, I've had it as a memory verse maybe like a hundred times. So like, when, but when you really stop and you think about what the word means, you'll be able to greatly appreciate it because I mean, just think about it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Be loyal and faithful. If we could do this, life would be perfect. It would be, as John Adams said, a utopia. So as we can see, America's a nation that was founded on Christianity. If we look around, we can find a few instances that you know, support this statement. Sure, we've all handled uh, one of these lately little dollar bill. And if we flip it around here, it says, "In God we trust." friendly reminder of what we should be doing in our daily lives when we use it. Maybe you're thinking of the song "God Bless America," a very common patriotic tune sung by many around the United States year round. Or maybe most evident of all, our own pledge of allegiance. We all know the part where it says, One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. These are just a few examples of Jesus and God's impact on our country. So I have another verse for us. We could all flip to Psalm 67 1 through 7. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face Shine upon us, so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let all the peoples praise you, God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. God will bless us, and the earth, ends of the earth will fear him. So this verse talks a lot about praising God, as we can see. We praise him here in church, but we need all the people we can get to praise him. So if you know someone that's going through a hard time, invite them to church. It could help a lot. So thanks to this wonderful congregation, earlier this year I was able to go on a mission trip. And we did quite a few things that impacted people in a very good way. But, I think the one that impacted people the most was probably commodities. So, in case you don't know what that is, it's basically where you go to this community building and you pack different colored bags with different kinds of foods, like maybe, you know, dairy products or, you know, canned foods. And then, you distribute them to low-income families of the community. So, when they pull around, you know, they, they tell you a number and you put that amount of bags in their car. So one of us of of the youth group Jaylee most of the time would get to talk to them. And while we all didn't get to have a turn at that it was still it was still good to see the reactions um, and it just makes you feel really good because it makes you feel like you're making a difference. It makes you feel like, you know, you, the way you're the, the things that you're doing are actually doing something in other people's lives. So I have one last verse for us, and it's Romans 828 We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. If we love him and live according to His purpose and to what he says, he will help you. I've had several instances this summer I've had like a lot going on, or like one time I got back from a trip, went to, with a friend for two days, and then I went uh, somewhere else for like two weeks. And I prayed about it, and God fit all those things together really perfectly. Some people don't come to church because they don't think it's worth it. They don't, oh, man, I I don't want to wake up that early. It's so early. I I don't want to go. Or like, ah, my family doesn't. You know, people who influence me, they don't really go. They're unwilling to sacrifice their secular lifestyle. Here's Matthew to talk more about sacrifice.
2: Thank you, Louie. I have a question. I don't wanna see a show of hands, but I want everyone to really think about it. Would you be willing to die for a loved one? Would you be willing to die for a friend? Would you be willing to die for a stranger? And then would you be willing to die for your enemy? Some of us might have said yes to these questions. Others, no. When we think of dying, well, me at least, we think about something that happens in an instant. I simply hear it as, would you exchange your life for theirs? I don't think about the pain. I only hear it as, would I give up the rest of my days on this earth for that person? But let me change up the wording of the question. Would you be tortured for a loved one? Would you be tortured for a friend? Would you be tortured for a stranger? And lastly, would you be tortured for your enemy? I don't know about you guys, but I know of someone who answered yes to all of these questions, and that. Is Jesus Christ. He was flogged, spat on, mocked. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head, and eventually he was led away to be crucified. He was willingly tortured because he loves each and every one of us, whether we're a Christian or not. Please turn to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to be reading from verse 6. but due to our sin, he cannot. God is perfect, and because of our sins, we are imperfect. So God sent his son to die on the cross for us. Jesus is the bridge between us, the sinners, and God. As a result of Jesus being the perfect sacrifice, we get to live with God in his heavenly kingdom when this world fades away. You might say to yourself, this sounds too good to be true. Why would God send his son to die on the cross for me? There is exactly one answer to that question, and that answer is love. John 3:16 tells us, "For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life." For God so loved The world. He gave his son. That makes me feel pretty special. When I hear that verse, I'm reminded of how Abraham was commanded by the Lord to offer up his son Isaac as a burnt offering. Please turn to the beginning of your scriptures to Genesis chapter 22. Now in this Bible story, we read about how God tested Abraham's loyalty. God commanded Abraham to go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice his son Isaac on one of the mountains there. Let's begin reading from verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, "'Father,' yes, my son,' Abraham replied. "'The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering?' "'Do not lay a hand on the boy,' he said. "'Do not do anything to him. "'Now I know that you fear God, "'because you have not withheld from me your son, "'your only son.'" What an incredible event. Let's jump down to verse 15 and see the outcome of Abraham's obedience. "'The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven "'a second time and said, "'I swear by myself,' declares the Lord." What happens when you trust and fear the Lord God Almighty? With that in mind, I want to extend an invitation. If you want to experience how great it feels to fully dedicate your life to the Lord, this invitation is for you. If you believe that his actions and his words are still affecting the world today, this invitation is for you if you want to serve him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, please come forward when the music starts and we'll pray with you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for all you've blessed us with. Thank you for sending your son to die for us and be the perfect sacrifice that connects us, the sinners, to you, God. Please help us to fully acknowledge and understand what has been told to us today and carry it with us all the days of our life. In Jesus' his holy and precious name, amen.